Welcome to Vice Casting Couch, Season 1, Episode 15. I am Ryan. Joining me is John. Today we're going to talk about hackers scamming a British equity firm out of millions of dollars. And Teams, Microsoft Teams, can be hacked with an image. How are you doing today, John? I'm all right, man. You know, you, know, you woke me up a little too early for this podcast. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's... This man came to my house and was beating on my door for oh 20 minutes. Goodness. No, I was not. <laughs> and then they called the cops. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> hey, man, I thought we were trying to keep this PG-13. Oh, yeah, 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 Sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you got? Uh, so I got I got two different articles. Um, first one is these these hackers that they essentially tricked a British private equity firm into sending them uh, 1.3 million dollars. So in a recent attack, they tricked them into wire transferring all of this money out to these uh, hackers. So the cybersecurity firm Checkpoint said nearly 700,000 of the total wire transferred amount has permanently been lost to the attackers. But they were able to recover the rest of the money. So what? A couple hundred thousand. Six hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. Not that much. So yeah, they, no. they dubbed it the Florenstein Banker. And essentially, it says the sophisticated cybercrime gang behind this attack seems to have honed their techniques over multiple attacks from at least several years of activity and proven to a resourceful adversary and equipped quickly adapting to new situations. So they use techniques like these lookalike domains that are not originally to the attacked organization, but also to third parties who they were communicating with. Um, so like they put these lookalike domains in between the two. Yeah. And then they would send these phishing emails to high profile individuals in the target organization to gain control of the account and carry out extensive reconnaissance to understand the nature of the business and the key roles inside of the company. The attackers within the victim's Outlook mailbox then created new rules that would divert relevant emails to different folders such as RSS feeds, stuff that's not commonly used by the individual in question. So aside from infiltrating this high-level corporate email account and monitoring their messages, the hacker register these lookalike domains that mimic legitimate domains of entities involved in email correspondence that they want to intercept. So then they can do essentially a perpetuate man-in-the-middle attack by sending emails from the fraudulent domain on behalf of the two parties. Okay, so... This is kind of like the other stuff that we've covered, like Netflix and Verizon, where like you get an email and correct me if I'm wrong, but like this is the same as those ones where you get an email saying, oh, you know, your account's been locked or something like that. File this link and it pulls up a web page that looks like the actual domain, but it's just a clone, correct? Yeah, um, they have a couple examples here. They're like, for instance, if the correspondence was between finance-firm.com and banking-service.com. The, the, they would register something like financefirms.com and bankingservices.com. So like it, they would add the S on the end, so it'd be like extremely similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually something back in the day similar to this. Um, someone registered some uh, Chinese uh, domain that registered, I think it was Goggle. It was like G-O-G-L-E.com. Uh, so like if people misspelled Google or whatever, trying to get to that, it would like link to their site. But yeah, this is a little more sophisticated. It seems like they actually uh, have a lookalike and then they get basically sent an email and then you click on that. And then any information you put in there is directed towards the hacking group, correct? Yeah. So it says um, the Florentine Banker Group, they would send one email from this the spoof domains to the counterparty, which would essentially insert themselves in between um into the conversation, deceiving the recipient into thinking that the source email is legitimate. 
Mm -hmm. So every email is essentially sent to the attacker who then reviewed the email, decided the content needed to be edited and then forward it to the relevant um, domain that looked like the one it was spoofing. And so with this, they were able to inject fraudulent uh, bank information because these private equity firms are trying to invest in like startup companies. Yeah. 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 Um, or at least they thought they were doing. So they had different accounts that were located in like Hong Kong and the UK and they mm-hmm. put their, their information in there and that's how they were able to get the money. Did they release um, what equity firm this was? I didn't see any, uh, any name in particular. I've been looking at it. Okay. They may not have. They may not have released the names, but I just want to see if anyone, if anyone listening was, you know, linked to that company or something like that, they might want to look into that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be uh, too worried about it. Like, you know, most of these companies have some kind of insurance and stuff like that. Like, true, true. But <laughs> if they're not following best practices or training their, uh, <laughs> their executives, that might be an issue. Well, and you, you got to think this is an extremely like simple, like, um, like low tech, like you just registered a domain name that looks very similar to another domain name. Like, yeah, anyone can do it. Most I'm good sure companies' the emails were like on their website as well. Yeah, probably. It, like I said, it doesn't list which specific uh, company it was, so I, there's no yeah. way to verify. Yeah, yeah. But true. I don't know. It's just. Ex- I think it's extremely interesting because most good companies, I think, like Facebook and Google, they kind of own the domains that are like within like one typo mm-hmm. away. Like yeah. If, yeah. Just to protect themselves. Yeah. But that is interesting though, especially you hear about like, oh, you know, hackers are getting more and more sophisticated and they're, you know, hiding behind all these uh, like intricately built firewalls and stuff like that. And then you have these people that are like, copy, paste, (laughs) send send email to this person. (laughs) Come visit our site, bro. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. What else you got? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, my next article is about Microsoft Teams. Um, it, it, it's worded to uh, talk about how an image can attack Teams, but it, it from reading it, because we'll go over a little bit how it works, um, it sounds like it can be implemented in other ways. But so it's, uh, Microsoft, they recently patched a worm-like vulnerability in Teams that could allow attackers to take over organizations' entire roster of team accounts just by sending uh, participants a malicious link to an innocent looking image. This flaw impacted both desktop versions and uh, web versions of the Teams app and was discovered by cybersecurity researchers at CyberArk. After the findings uh, were responsibly disclosed on March 23rd, Microsoft then patched the vulnerability and released it on April 20th. So it says, even if the attacker doesn't gain much information from the Teams account, they can still use the account to traverse an organization just like a worm. And eventually the attacker could access all the data from the organization's Teams accounts gathering confidential information, meetings, calendar information, um, competitive data, secrets, passwords, private information, business plans, et cetera, et cetera. It says the flaw stems from the way Microsoft Teams handles authentication uh, to image resources. So every time the app is open, an access token, a JSON web token, is created during the process, allowing a user to view images shared by the individual or others in a conversation. The CyberArk researchers found that they were able to get a hold of this auth uh, token which is essentially a cookie that mm-hmm. grants access to a resource server and it used it to create the aforementioned skype token thereby giving the unfettered permissions to send messages read messages create groups add new users or remove users from groups change permissions in groups all via the team's api gotcha okay so basically they send like like the other one they send a freaking link 
to the people that they want to target. They open it up and what it just hijacks their whatever team's account is on their computer. Um, it, ma- it makes it sound like that the, w- the way teams does it, they kind of generate this all token c- cookie like thing. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to take this cookie. So it mentions down here. So it says since the all token is sent to teams.microsoft.team or any of its subdomains, they're, they're susceptible to takeover attacks. Then it says if an attacker can somehow force a user to visit the subdomains, the victim's browser will then send the cookie to the attacker's server and the attacker can create a Skype token. After doing all this, the attacker can steal the victim's team's account data. Now armed with a compromised subdomains, an attacker can exploit the flaw by just sending a malicious link, like a GIF, to any unsuspecting victim or to all the members of a group chat. And thus, when the recipients open the message, the browser will attempt to load the image, but it will also be sending the auth tokens to the compromised subdomain. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, So it sounds like this cookie just helps with the authentication. And once they have that, because it sounds like it's individual to each account. Okay. um, From my understanding, like each user. And so once they get this cookie that's generated from the user, they can then use that to get all the information from the account. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty big, (laughs) especially now when teleworking and stuff is a huge thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is patched. Like I said, they released yeah. the patch on April 20th. But but the fact that it was, <laughs> it and was then, a vulnerability. Yeah, these researchers, they give really good props. So like near the end, they said this is very uh, stealthy, you know, how yeah. it's implemented. Like people would never know if they were to click it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they wanted to, like you said, they could they could edit the group and stuff like that. But on the flip side, they could just not do anything and just monitor what's going on. Yeah. And hopefully I explained that good. If not, um, we'll have the article link below. Um, I was trying to read most of it verbatim, but cut out all the, like the, you know, filler. Um, So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. I I understood. I understood what you were saying, but yeah, we, we always link all our sources and everything. So if you want to read it for yourself or maybe research it a little bit more, you can. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it's a good thing it's patched. And if there is an update pending for teams, I know a lot of people put off updates uh, please don't. Um, <laughs> that's that's not smart. Please update your stuff <laughs> so that you don't get involved in this. Yeah, if you're still running 95, blow up your computer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe on a virtual, but don't. Uh, <laughs> on your work computer, make sure it's updated, please. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised. I've seen people run an XP before. This this is this is true. I know Windows 7 is still pretty popular as well. There's hundreds of thousands of people that have refused to update since Windows 7. This dude I work with was like, yeah, I'm not going to update. And then he's like, yeah, it took too long to update the Windows 10, so now I don't get it for free. And I'm like, well, now you're stuck. Like, I, don't know what the, I, don't know what I mean, so and anyone anyone can, can research this a little bit more, but you can still get Windows 10 for free. So I looked into this. Because I wanted to put Windows 10 on a on a few virtual machines. Basically, what they've done, and again, this might have changed recently, but Microsoft took down like the free link to get Windows 10. Um, but you can still they didn't take it off their servers, so you can still um, through like GitHub and and other places, SpiceWorks and stuff like that, you can get the ISO for Windows 10. 
Um, it's oh. still, it, it is still floating around from reputable servers or from reputable providers and from Microsoft server. You don't have to like, you know, torrent it or anything like that. Well, if you're just talking about the ISO, um, you can download the Windows Media Creation Tool. Yeah. And then with that, it'll connect to these servers you're talking about and you can exactly. download Exactly. Yeah. You can still get it for free. It's just, it's just not the easy well, one click thing. When I use the ISO, it still wants a key. But you don't have to activate it. Oh, yeah, it'll work without activating it. You just, <laughs> You'll just you can't have change walk. your desktop background. It'll <laughs> be like, hey, you want to activate me? Like, <laughs> Make sure you're not using fraudulent software. It's bad for you. And it has all this, like, it's like Clippy, but worse. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's all they did. They took Cortana and they're like, yeah, we're going to take Clippy and put a mask on him. Like, oh, poor Clippy. <laughs> But yeah, you, stink, you can still get it for free. You can usually find the ISO around. Um, yeah, you do have to activate it, but I mean, you can usually find a key laying around somewhere. Yeah. I think Microsoft should kind of take the approach that a lot of these other uh, companies are. So like, yeah, they, they were providing it for free, but say if I want to download it from like a computer I build, I still have to buy a key. Correct. I think they should do it like where they're like, okay, we'll charge enterprises, you know, money. But, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, even though like, you know, Windows is the most popular OS uh, currently. So like, I can't imagine that they need the money from this. So like, and there's enough businesses that buy enterprise keys uh, that are, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on freaking service accounts for, you know, domains and stuff like that. Mm. I can't imagine that they would take much of a hit if they were just to provide it for consumers for free. I don't know. I mean, I guess they're not, they don't need to. Like people use it anyways, and people buy it anyways. Most stuff comes pre-installed with Windows anyways. So, I don't know. It's just interesting how other companies that make operating systems like Ubuntu and um, well, Red Hat got bought by IBM, um, but just how they're able to like provide like Ubuntu provides all their stuff for free. You can download the server ISO, you can download the yeah. desktop version, and they still make money by providing support. Like they don't even charge for the operating yeah. system. Exactly, and. You can pretty much do anything on Linux that you can do on Windows nowadays anyways. You can game on it. Steam works on it. Steam supports it. Because I used to be of the of the um, the crowd that like Linux was for like programmers and stuff. You know, like way back in the day, I, I always thought that, that that's how it was. Like Linux was used for the freaking nerds and uh, <laughs> Windows was for normal people. And then Apple was for idiots. And that, that was... <laughs> <laughs> And oh, some of that, no. uh, <laughs> mainly the, the Linux portion. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it, it's come so far. Like it's, it's not just like a freaking command, uh, you know, command line anymore. You know, <laughs> you can still use that, but like, it's been very much uh, updated to be very user-friendly. So if anyone does want to try it out, or maybe just pop up a virtual machine and mess around with it. But uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And it is interesting, like you said, that these companies are still able to do that and they make a pretty good uh, pretty good profit. Um, whereas Microsoft still charges like freaking hundred and whatever bucks for their their uh, their OS. But I don't know. I'm gonna call it Bill Gates. Man it's retired. This is true. Dang it. We just lost all our credibility, Ryan. Why? What what's up? Man, not only are you uh, trashing on Mac owners, but you don't even know Bill Gates was retired. Like, I forgot he was retired. He has the freaking foundation now that he runs. Yeah, the Bill and Melinda Gates. Yeah, it is pretty interesting what he's doing, though. Like, I listened to his uh, uh, podcast that he does. 
and uh, his newsletter that he sends out. He's making a lot of, I don't know, I, I think anyways, he's making a lot of good improvements, um, like bringing, you know, plumbing and, and uh, running water and stuff for third world countries and like lower income areas, stuff like that. But Man, what, no, what about Flint? <laughs> Flint's on their own. Because like people, people, you know, it died out in the news, but they still having problems. So where you at, Bill? Come on. You can build a firewall, but you can't build a filter for their water, huh? <laughs> now he is doing a lot of interesting stuff. You know, I, I talk, I talk smack, but uh, he's building like the CO2 scrubber that'll pull like tons of CO2 out of the sky. Yeah. Um, I think he built it in like Canada or something like that. Yeah. He's like. He's like Elon Musk, but less of a less of a child. <laughs> Elon Musk is getting in some hot water because of a tweet he made recently. But uh, which one? He said. Uh, he said Tesla stock is too high in price. Oh, so yeah. Everyone's and like, oh, sell, 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 sell. <laughs> <laughs> I read about that. <laughs> well, the, the problem with Elon Musk is he's already gotten in trouble, but with his tweets before, because before he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna buy a, I'm gonna take Tesla private for four hundred twenty dollars a share." Back yeah. when it was like three hundred something, so everyone started buying the shares, thinking yeah. they'd buy it back from them. You know, like, <laughs> oh my word, yeah, he could. Uh, he's gotten into a lot of trouble recently. He so he's a super interesting person to follow, but he leaves me kind of shaking my head a lot. <laughs> he's like, did you did you read about the uh, the whole thing with the EPA? No, where his uh, so he said his his new uh, Tesla Model S. He said it, you know, the, the 400 mile mark, that's like the coveted, your, if your car can get to 400 miles per tank, or in this case per charge, like that's the, that's the milestone and no electric car has been able to get to that point. Cause that's like the standard for like normal sedan cars. So he came out with this, the model S and he said they did testing on it and he said, Hey, it got to 400. He's like, look, this is a, you know, a, a viable solution to switch over from normal cars, you know, come by the Tesla. So the EPA they stepped up and they were like, uh, no, we're, we're going to test this for you to make this this claim. So they tested it and they said, uh, actually, it's a 391 mile car. And he like, <laughs> apparently Musk like blew up and was like, no, 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 no. You left the door open and that drained 2% of the battery. And that's why it didn't hit the 400 mile mark. <laughs> and then the EPA released a statement and said, uh, no, we conducted the test like in controlled conditions. All the doors were closed. Your car did not reach 400 miles to the gallon <laughs> or 400 miles to the charge. So, yeah, he was uh, he was pretty pissed about that. And I'm sure, he, <laughs> I'm sure he voiced his opinion on Twitter. But, yeah, he's just he's a <laughs> he's an interesting guy, to say the least. <laughs> Have you looked into his uh, um, his dad? No. Look it up. What's it? Spill a tea. What's up? So, like, I don't know enough about it to, or remember enough about it to, like, have. Maybe I'll I'll I'll, I'll bring it up in a future episode. Okay. Okay. Because his dad is uh, he's he's a crazy dude. Yeah. If anyone wants to wants to read a good story, just uh. <laughs> hey, when are we doing the, the John McAfee family? episode? I don't know, man. He said. Uh, he said, "If Bitcoin doesn't reach fifty thousand dollars, he's gonna he's gonna eat his penis." So I'm waiting for that. Um, <laughs> maybe he'll be more receptive to an interview. Let's see how once that happens. Well, I thought we were just gonna do one detail in his life, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I do want to go over because uh, I was looking into the whole Belize thing, and 
about his neighbor getting shot. Yep. (laughs) And how he's a prime suspect, and he was like, nope, I'm going back to America. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That dude is freaking insane. I love Um, his videos. He's like, he's making it look like he's doing cocaine and all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. (laughs) Oh, my word. Yeah, there's... There's been a lot of really good uh, interviews and stuff with him um, going over his life and stuff like that. And then they caught him with the geotagging in one of his picks. And he was like, no, no, no. It's like, I want you to find me because I'm not there, really. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I think you just messed up, John. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, he's he's an interesting dude. Yeah, we'll have to to go over his his life on another episode because... That, that would take up a, probably a full episode, just going through all his stuff. You said you got some uh, other tech news, right? Yeah, I just uh, it's just like a little snippet um, that I thought was pretty interesting. So this company, um, Algalco, uh, which is short for Aluminum Gallium Company. So they spent 14 years refining a, uh, it's not really an engine, it's a, it's it, it produces hydrogen, um, 99.9% pure hydrogen, uh, just by dripping water onto uh, freaking aluminum alloy, um, which I find pretty interesting. They fitted a truck in Indiana. They approached uh, Carmel, Indiana, um, and they have you know a bunch of trucks for plowing snow and stuff like that. So they uh, they approached them and they said, "Can we convert, basically test one of your trucks uh, with this new like hybrid function?" They said yes. So it's just like this small little um, well, it's not too small, but it's a very slim. Uh, steel case that they put in the back and it has a bunch of canisters in in the back of it and inside of it they call it a a button it's basically like a little piece of this aluminum alloy that they made Um, and then they mix that with water and it produces hydrogen and that hydrogen gets pumped into the uh the engine manifold and basically the engine can burn that um, until it runs out and then it switches over to gasoline so basically they're saying that this is a extremely efficient way uh, to to make a hybrid car rather than like right now all we really have is like like uh, you know electric we have mm-hmm. electric hybrid cars and stuff like that but like that's still you gotta you know plug it in charge it up and stuff like that uh, but they were saying this would be a lot cheaper it would be a lot easier um, and once you're done with it the uh, the aluminum in the bottom that's spent the aluminum alloy uh, the company can actually take that and sell that back which would then cut costs for consumers and cut costs for the company. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. It seems like a again, this is very, very new. Well, not new, but it's it's in very um, prototype stage. Basically, they tested on one, you know, one truck, or at least that's what that's all they said that they have done. Um, but it was created by an engineer um, by the name of Jerry Woodall. Yeah, it just it it seems. Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. And if they can make this a, a viable solution, I think that would be pretty cool. Rather than you know having to use your electricity in your house to plug up a hybrid or something like that. You just got to buy these tiny little uh, metal buttons. and put So it you're in. saying it drops water onto the aluminum and it makes hydrogen that the engine would then burn. Correct. Yeah. And then the only byproducts like water vapor, I think. Yeah. The, yeah. It has a, a super, super low emissions. Um, but yeah, here's a, a quote from, uh, from the article here. So when they realized what they had found, he said, at the lab, as he rinsed off a crucible containing aluminum and liquid gallium, I got a violent reaction of heat and bubbling gas. Uh, It turns out this gas was hydrogen. Pure aluminum doesn't readily react with water, but uh, he discovered this, uh, Jerry Woodall, 
aluminum atoms will react when dissolved in the liquid alloy, uh, alloy, thus splitting the hydrogen and oxygen. Um, so yeah, it's just, it drips water basically on this piece of metal. And this piece of metal is configured in such a way that it, uh, I guess, kind of violently reacts with the, uh, with the water and produces hydrogen, splits the atoms or splits the uh, molecule and produces hydrogen. Um, to say how long this little button lasts? Like, uh, they did not. No, as I said, it's in very much a prototype stage. I couldn't find a whole lot of like actual documentation, like saying how it works or how efficient it is. Like, as far as I know, this hasn't been tested by like um, any sort of government entity or anything like that to back up their claims. Uh, but this is what they're claiming as of now. So, but they did in 2007, um, Algalco received uh, the license to commercialize the technology. So again, this has been going on for a long time. 14 years, they've been honing in this uh, this reaction. Um, and they already have a license to commercialize it. So I don't know. I hope they uh, I hope they bring this to the to the market. I think that'd be pretty cool. At least as an alternative to electric, and then you know, may the best man win at that point. Yeah, I think battery technology needs to come a long way. But yeah, it's I don't know. I, I think there could be more efficient batteries. Oh, I agree. I think there needs to be research into like aluminum ion batteries and um, all yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. But no, I mean, for now, that. for now, yeah, they're they're pretty much the best we have. But graphene, <laughs> everyone was on the graphene train like two years ago. Yeah, that didn't really it's like it's going to change the world. Yeah, that... my lyrical miracle spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't, didn't end up happening there. <laughs> Glad I didn't invest in the graphene stocks. <laughs> Man, them solid state batteries, though, like even if we have even if we stick with lithium, like solid state batteries are gonna change the world, bro. What are you talking about? So most batteries, it's it's a like an anode and a cathode, and like it has an electro it has a liquid electrolyte. Um and you know the ions pass like the electrical charge passes between yeah. the electrolyte and all that. Mm-hmm. But over time they make these things called what dendrites and they're like these little stalagmite looking things and they like they bridge the gap and if it touches the other side it kills the battery and it reduces like recharging performance and stuff like that hmm. okay uh, so if you can eliminate that dendrite problem you hmm. can like increase the battery's life you know all this stuff so they're like yeah we'll just make a solid state battery with no liquid electrolyte like it's just solid and so, like, they've shown videos of these prototypes. You can, like, stab the battery, and it doesn't explode or turn off or anything. Like, this dude's iPad was connected. Yeah. It's still working. Um, <laughs> it, they can charge, like, so much faster. What What is it made out of? What are they? What's the solid material, then? Well, they're working with different stuff. Like, there's a bunch of different companies working on it. Oh, okay. um, But some of them are pretty promising from the stuff I've seen. I'm just saying solid-state battery technology in general Yeah, would be pretty uh pretty cool yeah i mean that could that could change a lot definitely you have to buy less batteries then i'm up for that and that would probably change um like uh like technology batteries as well if you can get a solid state battery in your freaking phone i mean <laughs> yeah. you know, it would last a lot longer uh and then you wouldn't have the you know after a year you have usually like half the charge that you would when you uh when you bought it new yeah i gotta replace mine yeah, I probably got to replace mine soon, but mine's a Galaxy, and uh, I have to pry that open because, <laughs> unfortunately, they kind of went the way of Apple in uh, gluing the back shut, which I thought was a stupid move. But oh well. Yeah, no, I gotta, 
Man, it's not that bad if you get the iFixit toolkit. Yeah, I got can, one. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Check out our uh, affiliate link down below. No, we don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop getting, stop getting my hopes up. <laughs> Check out our Kickstarter where we're going to do aluminum ion batteries. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> we got nothing and no one. We just do it because it's fun. Oh, for real? Oh. Yeah, I'm out, bro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, won't waste any more of your time. Um, <laughs> you got anything else, John? Negatory. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's good. I'm, long, I'm glad you thought long and hard about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll see you guys later. Bye. <laughs>